As I have a few this morning as we come, the seven deadly sins, to the topic of gluttony. It's a little fear and trembling that I come to this topic, as I have to several of these, and with no small amount of conviction in my own heart as we think about uh, these things, and and in this issue, so much of it is around uh, lordship. Who is Lord? What is Lord in our lives? Whom do we serve? When I think about gluttony, we usually think about food, but as I've studied this, I think that there, as we'll talk about this morning, that several images in our minds may arise. One would be, you know, the uh, all-you-can-eat buffet. In other words, it just says, you know, eat without limits. Eat until you can eat no more. Eat until you need help getting to the car, you know. But we also should think of bloodshot eyes staring at a computer screen. Or I think of the commercial that, um, that gets me where there's three or four kids around. They got their gaming devices on. And the room is dark and they're all gathered around and the noise and they're playing and all of a sudden the power goes out. And they're like, not again. What is this? And they're like, oh man. And they get up and they throw open the curtains and the sun streams in. It's a beautiful day outside. And they look around and they're like, what do you think? Should we go out and play? Mom comes in, says it works every time. A little power outage. <laughs> to drive us away, to drive them out of, you know, what does it take to free us from our bondage? What does it take to, uh, to set us free to live, to, to, to involve ourselves in other things, better things, richer things, things that we were created for? This morning we're in Proverbs 23, verses 19 to 21. Just a few verses. Hear then the word of God. Hear, my son, and be wise. And direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttons, eaters of meat, gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather this morning as your people. We gather hoping that you would speak to us. Gather longing for you to speak into our lives with power. Longing for your word to change us and make us more like Jesus, to make us more the men and women of God that you desire us to be. We bow the knee now. Say, Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see that our lives might be different, better, more godly. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Billy Graham, in his little book on the seven deadly sins, and he does have one, believe it or not, he said, During recent years in America, our standard of living has been rising. Most Americans are now living at ease. This is in the 60s. Things have only gotten, you know, most Americans are now living at ease. They didn't even know what cable TV was, right? They didn't even know what a microwave was. So many Americans are living at ease with more leisure time on their hands and more food to eat than any people in the history of the world. It's an amazing statement. It's an American statement, right? In recent years in America, we have so much, right? We not only have more than anybody else in the world, which is true, We have more than anybody else in history, which is true. 
We have so much. It is hard to, hard to wrap our minds around and grasp that at this point in American history, we literally, the people in this room, eat and drink like kings and queens of old. We live at a standard of living that only the monarchs of great countries could, could maintain. And there's this weird dynamic in our culture. I was reading Rebecca DeYoung also has a little book on the seven deadly sins and she tells of standing in the checkout line at the grocery store and seeing the Family Circle magazine. And on it there were, you know how there are several headlines, there are like four or five, you know, the articles you can read inside. And just this dynamic in our culture where we know the struggle that we're dealing with. She says on this one magazine, she said the featured article at the top was Trim Your Tummy. Ten ways to curve your cravings, right? And that's pop news right now. All of us are really wrestling with that, you know. All these different ways that we're looking to diet and to gain control. And then, but it, the next article down said, irresistible chocolate desserts. <laughs> they say we have an obesity e- epidemic. The dieting industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. There's never been a dieting industry in the history of the world before. Most countries don't have a dieting industry. America has a multi-billion dollar dieting industry. Fast food chains are being sued for making us fat. Everyone has to eat. I have to eat. You have to eat every day, several times a day, three squares at least, right? And I like eating. Food is good. And so we enter into this struggle to keeping good things within proper boundaries, right? Keeping good things from becoming controlling things, from getting out of hand. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Right? And we have to understand and believe that with all of our hearts. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Overuse of God's good gifts become abuse. Now it's interesting as I went to do this and I was thinking about it, and, and this is one of the few series that I took a topic and then went to the Scripture, and I believe that all seven of the seven deadly sins are, are, are not something we made up or bring to the Scripture, but that, that were drawn out of the Scripture. But it's interesting as you go to look at the Scripture about gluttony, there's not a lot there. There's only about, I found about five or six passages that actually use the word in our English translations, either glutton, gluttonous, or gluttony. There's like five or six verses. They speak to it, they speak to it truthfully like this one, you know. Here, you know he's, he's very clear about, about its, its uh, issue. But it's also interesting that, that there are so few. And I think the reason perhaps is, it wasn't as big a problem in the ancient world. Right? It wasn't as big a problem, and we just said the reason why. Most of us, most of the ancient world didn't live at the standard of living that we had. Most of the ancient world didn't have the means or the ability or the access to enough stuff to be gluttonous about it. You had to be at a certain, you know, it, today we talk about the middle class. The middle class is a fairly modern, new uh, entity, existence, thing that has come into existence. That There used to be the wealthy and the poor, and that was it. And the wealthy, we talk about in America, and this fascinates me, this whole 1% thing and the other 99, which is a total fallacy. And if you sit down in the whole, an interesting thing. But in, in world history, it was that way. 
1% and the 99. The wealthy, the rich, who lived high and the rest. But much of what you and I enjoy today was not possible, even for the Caesars of Rome. Much less for the average Christian in those days. But it was an issue, and there were things, and there were times, and there were seasons and ways that this could be an issue. And it wasn't just the poor who became Christians and who were part of God's people. And so it speaks to everyone. And he says, hear, my son. Verse 19, we're in the Proverbs. And, you know, my son is, is actually the, there's a teacher. Uh, but he's parental. And throughout the Proverbs, he is speaking parentally to basically a youth, a young man is usually the, 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 the audience to which he speaks, and it's usually my son. Listen to your father and to your mother. Hear us. Hear us. So he says, my son, uh, he who has ears, let him hear. My son, hear. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. My son, would you hear? Hear in a way that makes a difference in your life. Hear in a way that will shape the decisions that you make the things that you involve yourself in. My son, hear. And the teacher calls him to then wisdom. My son, hear and be wise. Wisdom is a refrain that runs throughout Proverbs. It's a book, in fact, it's part of what we call the wisdom literature. It's about being wise. Wisdom is the right use of life, the right use of information, the right use of what we know. See, we can know a lot of things, but to be wise is to live in accordance with those things, to make the right use of that knowledge, to live in such a way that it brings honor and glory to God. He says, hear, my son, have ears to hear and be wise. And then he tells us what wisdom really is about, because he goes on, he says, hear, my son, and be wise, i.e., do this, direct your heart in the way. As always, he comes for the heart. He doesn't just say, here, do these three things, you know, obey these three laws, go do these three. You know, he, he does have things to say about those kind of things, but he always, it always comes for the heart. Get your heart on the right track, right? Direct your heart in the right way. Get your heart on the right, in the right place in relation with God and so in, with stuff. And that's the issue in, in, in this whole gluttony thing as we talk about it, it's about the heart being right in the way that we respond to and understand God and his view of the world and the view of what he has made. He is the creator. And all the stuff we're gluttonous about is the stuff he has made. Right? He has made all things. And he wants us to have a proper relationship, not only with him, but with our stuff. And see, the problem with gluttony is we have a, we have a dysfunctional relationship with our stuff. Here, my son, get your heart on the right track. See, gluttony is not just about food per se. It's about our relationship with food. It's about getting our heart on the right track with God and with the things he has made so that we may live wisely and honoringly to the creator. And so he's talking about directing our hearts in the right way, directing our passions in the, in the right place to the giver and not to the gifts. And see, a lot of this is getting out of, out of proportion, out of direction, and, 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 and being feasting more on the gifts than we do on the giver. Putting worldly goods and pleasures in the right place, letting love for God govern how we think about and interact with our world and the way that we live and organize our lives and participate in it. And so he warns in verse 20, 
to not be among the drunkards and among gluttonous eaters of meat. Food. In other words, I think, and one of the things we're going to come out of here, I think you can be gluttonous about anything. But here he talks about gluttony in two respects. And I, and I think that both of these, the drunkard and the gluttonous eater of meat, are both gluttonous. One is about alcohol, wine, and the other about meat. And he differentiates the two. In other words, it's about excess. It's about too much. Too much of a good thing. Too much wine. Too much meat. A lifestyle that, that doesn't have boundaries and borders, where the river has overflowed the banks. And he wants to pull it back. Don't, don't live among this excess. Don't be one of them. Don't participate with this crowd, right? Don't be among drunkards and among the gluttonous. And so biblically, gluttony always includes food and drink. I, as you find, I think four of the five, whenever it said, you found the word glutton, it was always paired with drunkard, the drunkard and the glutton, right? The two are always linked together, overdoing it. Overdoing it with God's good gifts. The text specifies. And it's not a one-time event. The whole idea of these two words talks of a lifestyle of excess. You could define it as one who habitually eats and drinks too much. I think you have to define it that way. One who It's not a one-time event. We'll talk in a minute, you know, that, that God commands feasts. You know, there's a place for such things. But they're not the norm. One who habitually eats and drinks too much. Nelson's Bible Dictionary defines, defines it this way. It describes a life given to excess. And I think that's it. And that's what we have to capture in our thinking. Because in a culture like ours, a culture of abundance, it's way more than food and drink. Wikipedia defines it this way. You go to Wikipedia now, you know. Derived from the Latin glutir, meaning to gulp down or to swallow. It means overindulgence, overconsumption of food, of drink, of wealth items to the point of extravagance or waste. Too much. Too much. It's interesting, that's why two of the four where you get glutton and drunkard together, two of the four, one in Deuteronomy, one here in Proverbs, the other two are applied to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Twice in the scripture it's brought up, and the Pharisees quote it to Jesus. I think they're quoting Proverbs, I think they're quoting this text. And they quote it to Jesus, the Son of Man, Jesus answered them, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, and they're saying, this text says, be not among drunkards and the gluttonous eaters of meat, and here is Jesus hanging out with just such people. And once again, they miss the point. And the point is, don't be one of them. Don't be a glutton. Don't get drunk, per se. And they take it and apply it that you shouldn't even love such people, seek to bring those people in the right way. Jesus was with, he was guilty by association. Jesus was with those people for redemptive purposes. He wasn't among them as one of them. He was among them as their redeemer. He was among them as, as, as God's man. He hangs out with them in order that they might come to faith with him. And that's a whole other issue as we think about reaching out into the world because I think sometimes we hear, be not among them. 
And we have these private conclaves where we just don't rub shoulders with the people who need to know Jesus. And somehow, anyway. So what's wrong with this, right? He says, here, be wise, get your heart right on these things. You know, don't be among them, don't be one of them, a drunkard or a glutton of eater of meat. And what's wrong with it? What's wrong with indulging ourselves to absolute capacity? And he says, for the drunkard and the glutton, verse 21, will come to poverty. And they will, so their slumber will clothe them with rags. What's wrong with it is he says it impoverishes our lives. And I'm going to play, not loose and fancy, but you're going to go literal first. Because we, we all know, I know people very personally, I've been related to people, where this verse quite literally comes true. That overindulgence in one of these things can literally drive your life to poverty. Can literally make you homeless. Can literally destroy your life to that extent. But I think that there is a lesson that goes beyond that for us. It says that it impoverishes our lives in any number of ways. That the abuse and overuse and the extravagance and overindulgence in the worldly things does negative things to our lives. There's, the more we see this in our culture, the more we see its harmful effects. But its effects are not only for poverty on our, our money, our financial situation, but on our soul and our body. And the more we see abundance in our culture being abused and overused and the extravagance, the more we are seeing the negative effects of this kind of excess because it can also break the body and strip the soul as well as ruin us financially. And we see the effects on body and soul in our country, from liver disease to heart disease to diabetes and bone and joint problems and the loss of the quality of life that goes with so many of the, the attendant web of, of problems that come from that kind of overuse in our lives. There's a loss of the quality of life, a law and seeing this whole thing and what we don't see, we think more is better. It's almost the American way. More of almost anything is better. Right? If you can get more, if you can go higher, if you can achieve it, buy it, obtain it in some way, it must be better. But the truth is, according to the scriptures, there's a law of diminishing returns. That the more and the more, actually, while in that whatever area it is you're acquiring, you do amass or you do indulge, somewhere else a price is being paid. other parts of our lives begin to suffer. I think of so many, so many, not only food and drink, but in every other thing that we can be excessive in. You know, and sometimes we get, um, you know, and I'll pick and, well, <clears throat> we'll come back to it. More, the more we overindulge, even in good things, the quality of our lives diminish. All right, we will give examples. So say, um, Uh, Computer games, Xbox games, right? The more we indulge in those kind of things, you see it in our children. The more they do that, the less they want to do their homework, the less they play basketball, the less they play baseball, the less they see the sun shine, the less their bodies get exercised, the less any number of other areas of their lives that begin to diminish because they, they, 
there's this one thing that they feast on and overindulge in to the point that something else, they're, 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 when you say yes to something, you must say no to something else. The older a person gets and those kind of issues are there, and if I'm indulging those, the more other parts of my life will suffer from my work to my marriage to other th- responsibilities in my life. Whether it's sports, whether it's whatever it is that can take up more and more, if it takes up more and more space, more and more of your attention, more and more of your indulgence, you are denying something else. Proverbs twenty-five sixteen. I think it's made your first point. Proverbs later on, he says this, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you. In other words, eat, eat a healthy portion. Lest you have your fill and vomit. <laughs> right? And that, that's the thing of everything. There are sometimes I've sat and watched TV so long that I would get up and say, only have your fill. You know, what is, what is healthy and is a, you know, a fair distraction or entertainment or whatever. But there are times I've sat and watched so long that I get up and feel like I've been at an all-you-can-eat buffet. You know, you open the curtains. You're like, what have I done? You know, I've wasted all this time, and I could, you know, all that could have been going on, you almost feel glutted and, and, and oversaturated. And so God's warnings for us are about our health and our well-being, physically, spiritually, financially. God cares about the health and well-being of his people. And so gluttony is too much of anything. Too much. Overindulgence in God's gifts. We live in this culture of abundance. And we need to understand that. We have more, more than anybody else in the world. More than the history of the world. And we have so much. And what it does is it creates a unique set of temptations that other people just don't face. Temptations and problems. I don't know. I walk into Walmart and I go to buy toothpaste. And I stand looking at this wall of toothpaste, and there are 25 brands, and every brand has 15 kinds, and there's tartar control, and there's mouthwash, and there's whitening, and there's super whitening, and there's triple action, and there's swirled, and there's speckled, and there's all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, I just want toothpaste, and I'll stand there for 10 minutes, literally give 10 minutes of my life trying to figure out which one I should be using. Sometimes I wish there were only two kinds, this one or this one. And I can just do eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and I can go home. There's so much, and it creates unique problems and temptations. We struggle with overindulgence and extravagance and waste and abuse, and it has become part of normal life, normal American life. Not only is it an overwhelming amount of stuff. There's an overwhelming amount of entertainment and media and technology. Not just how many TVs and how big, but all that comes through it. I've got hundreds of channels and, and I can, you can get on demand and you can do it through Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or, you know, Crackle or, you know, this, like, there's this, through the TV, the entertainment and the possibilities, the gaming, you know, I used to have to have an Xbox, but you can do the computer or you can do it on demand or you can do, there, there's a little thing at the table in Chili's. I had lunch there the other day where you can now pay at the table with your own little thing, but you can also buy games, 99 cents each. You can sit at the table. 
The amount of it that comes from Facebook and cell phones and iPads and gaming systems and the internet and sports channels and every, and every single one of these we struggle with how much is too much. And you add it all up and it's all too much. And we're not free. See people walking and doing their cell phone and walking into things. You know, you walk into the doctor's office to wait now. Nobody's reading a magazine. Every one of them to a man has their cell phone out. You know, it's just you're eating dinner with, you know, four people and two of them have it just under the edge of the table. And they're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. What? Having a conversation with a teenager and half the time you're talking to them and they're like this. You're like, yeah. And I'm like, who are you talking to besides me? Four other people. Please, how much is too much? Where do we draw a line? Where are the banks of this river that we do not overindulge our souls and lose ourselves? Husbands complaining about their wives and how much time they spend on Facebook and what they're doing and wives complaining about their husbands and how much they use their Xbox or watch football or, or do this, that, and the other. Their affairs starting online. They start on Facebook and old friends and flames and chat rooms and this and that. And people are just... We're bored and we're filling our time and we're filling our souls with flashing screens and media and stuff and we are saturated and satisfied in the oversatisfied, overindulged kind of way that is death to our spiritual lives. We neglect limits. See, the culture of abundance leads to a culture of addiction. Right? When we neglect limits... We think we're in control and we're having fun, but we have become slaves. We're not free. I can quit any time I want. I just don't want to. Uh-huh. Addiction, overindulgence. You know, we used to, it used to be Alcoholics Anonymous. It was like the only addiction recovery program you could find, right? It wasn't that long ago. Back to Billy Graham in the 1960s. Probably if you were looking for a recovery program, you could find AA. In the late 60s, it was Narcotics Anonymous. Right now, if you go looking for a recovery program, an addiction recovery to find freedom, you can find it from gambling, from shopping, from eating, from the internet and Facebook, from playing games and gaming. You know, there are, there are recovery programs for World of Warcraft players and different games that people have become addicted to. There, you literally can find recovery programs for everything in our culture that has become abundant, and we have not figured out how to say no, to put boundaries, to put limits on ourselves, which creates margin in our lives for the important things. Spouses, children, our souls, ministry. Oh, we're too busy for all those things. They got little slices here and there. To keep giving in to things where we should say no weakens our self-control everywhere because self-control is one thing in me. It's not like a self-control here and here. And here. You know, self-control is one thing in me and to, to have no self-control in one place bleeds over into the whole life. I, self-control, my self-control weakens breaks. There's no dam anymore for that river and places where we should say no weakens our control. We lose the ability to say no, to deny ourselves. We don't even know that we should say no anymore, that there should be limits. 
John Owen said, it's there in your bulletin under the second point, I believe. He said, the more that men sin, the more that people sin, the more they are inclined unto sin. And that, what does that mean? It means the more we lose control. The more we do it, the more we do it. The more we give in, the less ability we have to not give in. And so we must be deliberate and listen to Jesus and in, in the scripture, and to be critical of culture, and if we want to feast and indulge in something, to feast and indulge in the scripture in such a way that it saturates our soul, and we become biblically minded, and think about all these things in, in the right way, because we're saturated with his word, and we live out the life that by the spirit he empowers us to live, but we're so saturated with everything else, think of your soul, think of your mind, think of your life as a glass, and if it's full of whatever it is you got it full of, you can't fit, <laughs> the things that need to be in there. Every good gift comes from God. And we are free to experience and to enjoy them all. They are given to us in His grace for our good. And He's given us pleasures that He has enabled us to enjoy. And we all know them. Life is full of pleasures. God created our taste buds. God gave us nerve endings feel the breeze on our face and all kinds of pleasures of mind and taste and touch and smell. Every good gift comes from God and to enjoy and these things is, is what we're made for. And we can follow every pleasure. If you taste something good, you know, I think it's C.S. Lewis who said that every pleasure is like a beam from the sun. God is the sun and every, the giver of every good gift and, and it is at his right hand that there are pleasures for every more and every pleasure that we experience in this life, we can, we can follow it back up like a, like a sunbeam back to the sun. And so as I enjoy a good meal, I give thanks, which is one of the reasons we pray, not just to bless the food, but to give thanks to the creator. As we enjoy this, his provision in our lives, we give him our thanks, we ride the beam back to the giver. Whatever the pleasure is, whatever the gift is, The glory and the praise and the thanks belong to God. And this helps us to keep it in bounds. To not let the gift overshadow the giver. To become bigger than life. See, the Old Testament is full of feasts and celebrations, opportunities to celebrate and for worship and for gratitude, times when God says, uncork it, undo it, and, and bring it out. You know, we're going to celebrate God's good gift to us. And so Thanksgiving and Christmas, I don't feel guilty when I eat at Thanksgiving. You know, that, that's what it's for. You know, that's the day. If, if one day a year you can roll me away from the table, drag me in and put me on the couch, you know, that's the time we celebrate. It's a Thanksgiving. But then the rest of the time, we've got to get life back in its borders and its boundaries and see if it is, we can afford to celebrate. We can afford to splurge, to have a feast. But if every day is a feast, a feast means nothing. Our Father's concern is for our hearts, that we would love and serve the giver. We would love and serve and honor the giver more than his good gifts. See, our body has a capacity for such pleasure. This body that has those capacities belongs to God. Right? It's there in your bulletin, I think it made it under the last point, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
You belong to God by creation, to the creator, and by redemption. As he has redeemed you and bought you with a high price. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify your God with your body. Your body belongs to God. We belong to God. What do we say? And you know, the context here was sexuality. Uh, you know, in terms of what do we do with our bodies sexually. And Paul is saying your body belongs to God. But the point, the overall point that Paul is making there is this. What we do with our bodies matters whether it's our sexuality or our tv watching or our game playing or our entertaining or our eating or our drinking or whatever it is we do paul says don't you know your life your life when he says your body he doesn't just mean your physical body as a temple like your life you are your soul your being like your life is a it's the dwelling place of the spirit of god the kingdom of god on earth And he says that changes things. That changes everything. 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, So whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of your God. This is what gets lost when we are saturated and glutted and oversatisfied with everything else. There's no more glory for God. There's no more room for all that would bring him his due in our lives. Whether we're watching football or pursuing Facebook or playing games or spending money or eating or drinking or whatever it is, it's not just our bodies per se. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to him. So let me give you two or three quick things to do. One is to practice fasting. It's a biblical, it's a biblical uh, discipline. It's an ancient discipline. Christians have practiced it since before the world. Pharisees wanted to know why Jesus' disciples weren't practicing it. And Jesus' answer was, the bridegroom's here, but he's leaving. When he leaves, they will. You know, don't worry. Don't worry, but the bridegroom's here. We're having a feast. You know, we're having a little feast time. You know, fast time will come, and now Jesus is gone, and where is there is a fast time now. And Jesus says, I think there is a place to fast. Why? Because we need to practice self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. We need to practice renunciation. We need to practice saying no. We need to, to practice making room in our lives, stopping something to create space and room in our lives for being still and knowing that he is God and pursuing that pleasure and satisfaction. The rule of St. Benedict says there's nothing so contrary to Christians as excess. Why? Because the world's goods are meant to serve us and not us them. The river is meant to run in the banks. And when Christians are given to excess of the created things... It goes to paucity or poverty in spiritual things. And we can fast from anything, and this is where you bust it back out. We can fast from anything that has power in our lives. Some of you desperately need to fast from Facebook. Some of you desperately need to fast from technology altogether. Some of you may need to just fast from your, from your smartphone. You know, some of you need to fast from watching TV. Some of you need to fast from playing games. Some of you need to fast from anything that, that has a big chunk in your life and where you wonder whether... You're in control or it is in control. 
We need to put it back in its banks. I think this is where Lent has real purpose, and maybe this year we'll make more of a deal of it as I thought about these things. I never liked Lent because it felt like a law. I grew up, I grew up in a denomination sort of, where were those things, there was no spiritual heart, and so everything felt like law. But this is one of those things I may come back to, as you say, it has real purpose when it comes back into your life, not as a law, but as a rhythm of self-denial. This says, I, it says that I don't want to be mastered by anything. And if whatever it is, if ice cream has too big a place in my life, I'm going to spend 40 days taking ice cream out, and every time I think of ice cream, I'm going to think of the glory of God. I'm going to think of my love for Him. I'm going to think of no, just say no so I can say yes to you, Jesus. You know, that, that there is, there's something more we practice. Giving ourselves fully to God. Fasting demonstrates freedom, but it also creates it. It also creates it where it needs to be created. If I stop something for 60 days, chances are you are free from it. It creates it, but it also demonstrates it. Sometimes there's a time to give it up forever. There are things in your life that there comes, Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, to cut it off. And I think sometimes our fasting needs to be a life of it. And you need to just say, you know what? I I put childish things away or that thing that has a place in my life. It's time for it to go. A couple more quick things. Practice generosity. Practice generosity because we need to practice letting go. We need to bless others, diminish the control of money and stuff in our lives, and reduce our self-indulgence by being generous with others. Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none. Let him who has food do likewise. Jesus says, practice self-denial, practice generosity, practice letting it go. Practice cross-cultural ministry. And as I say, and this is one thing I, I think that we'll be stressing over the next year or two, is that I believe that every single person in here ought to go cross-culture into another culture, preferably third world, uh, or two-thirds world, depending on how you define those things, to do ministry. Because this is an American problem. And there's nothing so freeing as some perspective. If you go spend a couple of weeks in India, we go this year, if we travel to Uganda with with JD and, and have the chance to spend time in a culture where we see we are the richest people on the face of the planet, you know, in, in the history of the world. We have so much. And nothing could help to set us free from it and to begin to rearrange our thinking about stuff and, and, and our use and allocation of stuff and, and, our, and our own hoarding and amassing and overindulging than perspective on a starving, broken, poverty-stricken world. Go. Get, get out of your, your our, our little, we are provincial. Americans are provincial. We see the entire world in terms of our culture when 98% of the world is not our culture. And we are the exception, not the rule. Engage in spiritual warfare with this thought. We end 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful to me, Paul says, but not everything is helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated. That is, I will not be mastered by anything. And this is what this is about. It's about who is Lord, who is King, 
Who is master? Who gets the service of all of these things? Instead of us serving all this stuff, all this stuff needs to be brought into the service of Christ and his kingdom and his purposes. Right? It needs to be put in its place. Right? All these things are great gifts of God to be tasted, but I will be mastered by nothing but the Lord Jesus, but King Jesus. And all this stuff will be brought to heal and to bear and to serve the purposes of a living God. Will you take some time this week, think about these things, look at your life, and ask God, where, where is Jesus not Lord as he should be? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us as your people, that you will tell us the truth even when that truth is hard to hear, that we, the creatures, have grown to love created things, sometimes more than our creator, that we serve the things and the blessings in our lives more than we serve our Lord Jesus and his kingdom, that we are full and saturated and satisfied with stuff rather than with you. Would you cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Awaken in us a desire to be full of the Spirit that we might be useful to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.